we find a target that creates these cells, puts these cells in a state where they bend the rules to the point where now they die. And then we're also interested in bending those rules where the cells become more susceptible to radiotherapy so we get a better cell kill. This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and my guest is Dr. Monica Veneer. Monica is a member of the Cancer Biology Program at the James and Ohio State Comprehensive Cancer Center, and her specialty is glioblastomas, which are a very aggressive and difficult to treat brain tumor. Monica and the members of her lab are working to identify new targets to attack that could lead to advances and breakthroughs in treating glioblastomas. Welcome to the podcast, Monica. Thank you. Happy to be here. So I'm curious, I'm always curious how you doctors, you're a PhD, how you came to specialize in what you specialize in brain tumors and glioblastomas. Yeah, so I actually did my PhD in the cancer realm. So, you know, fantastic part of being a PhD is you get to be curious as a job. So with the complexity of cancer, especially glioblastoma, which we'll get to, um, attacking that from generating hypotheses and, and testing them and trying to move the field forward was an interest early on. And then I ended up doing a postdoc specifically in the brain tumor realm. Um, during that time, I actually had an uncle diagnosed and, and lost him very quickly to glioblastoma. So if nothing, that reinforced my path to now have my own research program um, in the brain tumor field and glioblastoma, trying to, like you mentioned, identify new targets and push the field forward in that realm. Wow, I'm sorry to hear about your uncle. And I, I, that really does illustrate what like you said, it, it, what, it didn't take long for him to pass away, that, that how aggressive they are. And I mean, they've been in the news lately. Um, John McCain um, had a glioblastoma and the whole nation sort of got to watch that process which was kind of sad and, and so many families go through that. But what exactly is a glioblastoma? We know they're a type of brain tumor, but what makes them so aggressive and difficult to treat? Right, so they're, they're considered the most common malignant primary brain tumor. Um, these tumors can occur at any age, but it's more common in older patients, so over 64. Um, the you know, I'll state some statistics, but the reality is each patient has their own journey. But these statistics nonetheless underscore how aggressive and malignant these tumors are. So the five-year survival um, for glioblastoma is 7%. And the median overall survival is 12 to 18 months. So these are extremely aggressive tumors. And there's multiple reasons um, why these are so difficult to treat and why they're aggressive. Um, I like to kind of think of it as they're a patchwork quilt. So the term we use is there, there's a lot of heterogeneity in these tumors. So different microenvironmental regions, different cells with different phenotypes at a given time. And what that leads to is that when we give a treatment, not all the cells are going to respond the same way. There's such extensive heterogeneity in cell behavior. So um, we have a standard of care for these tumors. There's actually only four drugs and one device FDA approved. Um, you know, there's always a struggle when you're talking about brain tumors because the drug, you have a lot of good drugs we can use for other tumor types, 
but the drugs have to be able to get into the brain. So there's something called the blood brain barrier. So not only do we have these aggressive heterogeneous tumors, we can't throw anything that we want at them because we need the drugs to get in the brain and get into the brain at a concentration that's going to actually target those cells. You know, that's interesting, that blood brain barrier. And because with many types of cancer, you get a port in your chest or you get an IV needle and it goes through your body. How do you get it? it but it, that doesn't get to the brain. So how do you get whatever medicines, treatments there are to the brain? Well, they, I'll talk about what is the current standard of care. And this came about in um, 2005, something called the Stoop trial. Now, he was the first author on the paper of a, a larger group of researchers that really pushed the field forward. So this is 2005, 2022. This still is the standard of care for um, when patients are first diagnosed. And it's uh, maximal surgical resection. So the neurosurgeons are very good at what they do. But here's another layer of why these tumors are so difficult to treat. They're very invasive. So they don't grow as a solid mass in the brain that the neurosurgeons could use their expertise and remove. They infiltrate. So they move into normal brain. So the neurosurgeons obviously have to balance what they can take out, what they may have to leave behind. And then there also will be cells that have invaded beyond where the main surgical resection bed is. So that's first part of standard care, maximal surgical resection. And then the patients will receive a combination of chemo radiotherapy. So there is a standard care uh, chemotherapy called temozolomide, which does get into the brain well, and it's actually taken orally by the patients, which is therefore they don't have to have the, the IV delivery. And then that's given concurrently, so at the same time as radiotherapy. So I'm in the Department of Radiation Oncology, and my colleagues um, do the treatment plans, and they'll actually give the radiotherapy um, a little bit outside of that resection bed. So trying to get some of those cells that may have been left behind. And then after that chemo radiotherapy, patients will continue to get the temozolomide. Yeah, and I, you mentioned about how it, it's all, it's impossible for the surgeon to remove everything. They could, they can see it, but then they would remove too much of the brain and the person, patient wouldn't function. So you, you it's unlike... Uh, a breast cancer tumor or a lung cancer tumor, you just, you can't remove all those little pieces because the person would have too much quality of life issues. Exactly. Wow. So that was a sort of a good overview and, and great job because you, you don't see patients, right? And no, I, I don't obviously directly interact with patients, but I've been fortunate through different brain tumor um, patient organizations to, um, interact and, and through public policy initiatives, stand alongside the patients and, and caregivers and um, hear their stories. And of course, my own experience with losing my uncle and um, you know going through that with my aunt. And um, so, you know, but of course we, 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 even as basic researchers, we have to understand the clinical side, but we absolutely have to work with our clinical colleagues. Um, and, and that's a, a huge, um, component in the brain tumor field. We really are a community that is extremely collaborative because the complexity of these tumors, we have to work together to move the field forward. Yeah, that I've heard that from so many PhDs and MDs that that collaboration of, of just talking about the impact of the research on the patients going back and forth so you can keep improving. Exactly, yep. We're gonna take a quick break and when we come back, Monica will fill us in specifically on the research 
she and her and the members of her lab are doing. In today's world, misinformation abounds, but at the Ohio State Health and Discovery website, we're addressing today's most relevant health, wellness, science, and research topics, all from the Ohio State experts you can trust. We're tapping into physicians, scientists, and thought leaders across our medical center and health sciences colleges to give you the deeper story behind the headlines and the truth about the topics affecting the health of individuals, society, and the world. Visit health.osu.edu today. We're back with Monica Veneer and we're talking about glioblastomas and we're going to now get into some of the amazing research she's doing. And I just first, I, I met Monica through Abby Zielinski, a former member of her lab who I met through Pelotonia. She was a Pelotonia fellow and is very involved in Pelotonia. And you're also involved in Pelotonia. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I've been fortunate to have multiple grad students and undergrads uh, funded through the fellows program. I myself um, was the recipient of a IDEA award under the junior investigator um, component when I first started, I was able to use those Pelotonia funds to then be awarded American Cancer Society um, research scholar proposal. So turn those Pelotonia dollars into additional research funding to continue to grow that part of the research program. Yeah, that was the whole point of these IDEA grants. Do the initial research that leads to the bigger funding and, and you did that. Absolutely, yeah, it's a fantastic program. So that's a perfect segue into your research. And as I mentioned before, your specialty is finding new targets to go after. So sort of explain what that means and how that relates to your research. Yes. So obviously there's many things going on within a tumor, especially these malignant tumors. And what we're specifically interested in is how these GBM cells, these glioblastoma cells are proliferating, how they're growing. These are extremely proliferative tumors. It's, it's one of the original histological characteristics that high mitotic index, high proliferative index. So in the context of cancer, GBM and other tumor types, these cells that rapid, rapidly proliferate, they bend a lot of the rules. Normally in the context of cell division, very strict rules that you cannot break or that cell will die. In tumors, they bend those rules. But what we're interested in, how can we make them bend, bend a little bit further? Can we find a target that creates these cells, puts these cells in a state where they bend the rules to the point where now they die? And then we're also interested in bending those rules where the cells become more susceptible to radiotherapy. So we get a better cell kill. So radiotherapy is very good at debulking most of the tumor. A lot of the cells will be responsive, but then there are these, again, any snapshot in time, these more malignant cells that are gonna be resistant to that radiotherapy. So we wanna find ways to, again, push these cells into a state where either they inherently die or they're gonna, we can combine our drug with radiotherapy and get increased cell kill. So this is the thing that I don't understand. Radiotherapy, uh, radiation therapy to kill 
the cancerous cells that remain behind after the operation. How does radiation therapy work that it destroys cancer cells, but not regular brain cells? And I'm guessing that's what your research is to further refine that. But why doesn't the radiotherapy kill all the cells and just targets the cancer cells? Yeah, again, it, it goes back to the state these cells are in to continue to, to grow they have to, they're becoming more dependent on certain pathways. And they're the pathways we're trying to identify. Our normal cells, they have all of their arsenal to repair the damage that radiotherapy may cause to their DNA. So they will survive. But the cancer cells, the concept is some of them will be inherently targeted and, and die. And then what we're interested in is those that don't do survive so don't die but we can find ways to push them but the to answer your question the normal cells are just they're better equipped they're not going under they're not under these constant cellular stress that a cancer cell has to be under to continue to grow so they're more able to respond and repair and survive uh, but these very aggressive glioblastoma cells have also found a way figured out a way to survive the radiotherapy and you're trying to figure out a way to prevent that exactly yep okay so there we go how do you do that that sounds boy that sounds complicated <laughs> yeah well it you know it all comes back to a hypothesis right that our science is going to be hypothesis driven and so we can generate those hypotheses after we sometimes do things called screens so that we know a variety of proteins that are important for responding to radiotherapy or for cell division. And we can screen those proteins in the GBM cells and identify potential um, proteins that are more elevated, higher levels of them. And that could be an indication that is that protein higher in the cancer cell because the cancer cell is more dependent. And then we can manipulate that target, that protein, and see, do we get increased cell kill? Um, so that's where we always start with a um, uh, you know, hypothesis that usually comes off of some type of screen. Okay, so now I'm starting to understand because we, in a previous podcast, we've talked about with immunotherapy, the, the PD-1 protein that cancer cells have, they've identified that as a target and, and are, being, are getting better and better at, at targeting that so the immune system sees through that. So it's the same concept in the brain, but not the PD-1, but different proteins that the cancer cells uh, build? Yeah, the, the proteins, what we're interested in, those that drive that proliferation or drive that resistance to radiotherapy. And then we want to manipulate it and then, again, increase what we call radiosensitivity of the cells so they die more readily. Again, or this, these cells are so dependent on this protein to divide that then they no longer divide. And then, again, we can debulk the tumor in that way. So where are you in your lab in that process? Have you, do you have a few proteins you've identified and are starting to figure out what to do with? Absolutely, yeah. So we you know, start on, in the, on the cell-based studies and then when we are confident that we um, have an interesting target to take further, then we go into a preclinical models. So testing in the in, the in vivo setting. Can you give me sort of an example of one of the proteins that you've identified and 
and walk us through the stages of where you are. And I'm guessing at some point, the goal is to lead that to a, a clinical trial of some sort. Yeah, so we, we do favor targets that have existing drugs, not necessarily FDA um, approved drugs. And so in some ways, we're not necessarily repurposing, but trying to bring back drugs in, in the context of GBM, drugs that have not been explored in the context of GBM into it, the context. So one of our um, targets that we're really interested in is very important for a process during cell division um, called mitosis. So it's one of the last steps before one cell becomes two. And we've identified multiple targets within mitosis um, that if we use these pre-existing drugs in combination with radiotherapy, we can extend survival in our preclinical models. So we're very excited um, with our, our current still preliminary data, but we're working hard to um, go further with that. Now, I'm sure it has a very complicated name, but what, what is that, that protein you've identified? Or is it a secret? <laughs> yeah, no, it's not a secret. This was what our, our grant was on. It's um, called TIF-11. TIF-11, okay. And does that refer to something? It's just a, it's a kinesin. So it's that K, it's, it's part of this larger family of, of kinesins. And these are um, proteins that bind microtubules and have a variety of uh, jobs in the cell. Some of them move cargo. The one we're interested in is, again, really important for mitosis. So um, yeah, it's just this larger family of kinesins. So where are you in the, in the, the state, the different stages? You're still in the preclinical trial stages of this? Yeah, yeah. So the, you know, where, what we can do on a preclinical side, which you can't as easily apply on the clinical side, is we can do different combinations, different, different paradigms of how we're combining our drug and our radiotherapy. So we, that's where we are. We're trying to find the ideal combination where we can see the greatest extent in survival. Wow. And the, the thing that's fascinating to me is I learn about all the different labs at, a, at, at, at the James and the Comprehensive Cancer Center is you each, it doesn't sound like a lot, but what you just described, but it is, it's huge. If this works, this will lead to what? Um, just a, a different approach, a new way of potentially bringing it to the clinic and then improving outcomes, right? We have to do that for GBM. We all know that. I mean, there's, and we all have to contribute our piece of the puzzle. And that goes back to the collaborative nature of the brain tumor field. Um, we're, we're not gonna get that curative treatment option unless we're working together. And you know, I don't know that my approach is going to be that, but definitely a step forward. And then working again with all of our colleagues in the field is, is what it's gonna take. Yeah, I like that pieces of the puzzle analogy because, and you get the pieces from all over the, the country and the world of all the different, brilliant scientists like you and their labs, all these little, it seems like little, but they're really big steps and you're putting them all together and it leads to this better treatment. Absolutely. So kind of look ahead in your crystal ball and, and your research and other research going on around the world in terms of, of treating GBMs. I'm going to, now that I learned that acronym, I like that. Um, what do you see down the road? How, how, much can you improve that that the the outcome for patients? Yeah, I do wish I had a crystal ball, um, but I it will go back to um, how we study these tumors to make our discoveries. So another area we're interested in, and this is 
collaborations with other OSU researchers in the College of Engineering, um, one thing we need to better understand, I, I touched on this patchwork quilt and that there's these different cellular states and subpopulation and we need to do better at capturing them from these original tumors and then being able to interrogate them on the lab side. So we're trying to use different isolation approaches with you know, unique um, engineering concepts that then we can apply the biology to. So I think you know, for, for us for, to be able to identify additional targets, that's an effort we're really um, driving forward is just now how can we capture the pieces of that patchwork quilt and understand how heterogeneous are these states are and what kind of maybe multiple approaches do we need to move forward with. It's not gonna be a single drug that is going to, to push it forward for curative treatment options. We're gonna to have to be really creative about the types of drugs when we give them. And that's where we have to go back to the understanding the basic biology of the different cells within GBM. Wow. So you mentioned the engineering aspect and the collaboration with the College of Engineering. I'm starting to hear about more and more about that. And that is that that's you would create the treatment, the drugs, the, the radiotherapy. They help with the delivery systems. Is that how it works? No, even before that. So if we, um, you know, if a patient has consented that after their resection, they want their tumor to go to research. So when we receive that, um, part of the resected tumor, we want to not treat that tumor as one clonal entity. We know that in within that tumor, there are different subcellular states, but how do we isolate them and study those individual states on the research side to potentially identify a target that might be really important, but overlooked when you look at the entire tumor together. Um, so to do that, there are colleagues on the College of Engineering have multiple um, technology that they've developed where we can apply that to trying to isolate these subpopulations of the tumor in multiple ways. Oh, okay. So those are so, all preliminary and ongoing, but it's something we see as really important to better inform new targets by so looking can, at. Yeah, you can learn even more about that tumor, which in turn helps you find new targets, new exactly. anomalies, wow. So before we wrap this up, you mentioned something during the break that I had forgotten about. Your husband is also works at the James. Yes, yeah. So we've um, started our careers, our PhDs together. So um, also an interest in this, how cells grow and, and how in cancer they grow when they shouldn't be growing. So he does a lot of nuts and bolts of the cell cycle as well. What is his name and specialty? Oh, Matt Summers. So he's an associate professor also in the Department of Radiation Oncology. Oh, so how do you, how do you separate work and home life when you <laughs> both do the same thing and probably have a lot to talk about work-related when you're at home? Well, probably a telling example there would be when our oldest son was five, he's now 13, he drew a picture of mitosis, that phase of the cell cycle I was telling you about. So definitely a lot of conversations about science at home, um, but a lot of balance too, thankfully. Your five-year-old under your he understood mitosis at five. <laughs> yes, we still have the picture. We need to frame it, but yep, he drew a picture of mitosis. Wow, I should have him as a guest on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, thank you for filling us in, filling us in, and and all the great work you're doing. And this was great. Yeah, thank you for the opportunity. 
This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.